Welcome to the School for Mystics podcast with Misha Saido and Marina Galan. In this podcast, Marina and I will share with you unique and contrarian perspective of how our lives really work. Hello everyone and welcome to the School for Mystics podcast. Hello Marina. Hi, Misha. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. Today we're going to explore one of my favorite topics. <laughs> okay. And it is about how not to be afraid and maybe how to be courageous as well. How not to be afraid or how to be courageous. Well, that's an interesting counterposition. Yeah. And I like this, the, the, the latter more than the former. How to be courageous. Yeah. So are we going to explore the nature of courage, yeah. the nature of fear, or both? Or both. Or both. Cool. Yeah. So let me kick us off with the quick story, and uh, I'm really curious what you think about that. So when I was, I think, 17 or 18 years old, I was kind of attacked by um, a group of uh, three skinheads. Now, do, do you remember the skinheads? Like, do you yes. remember these crazy guys, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, so um, I'm um, part Jewish, and uh, they identified me as uh, Jewish, and that was the reason for the attack. What is interesting is... They actually, like the, the place they have chosen was quite stupid. It was, it, it was the subway and it was like there were a lot of people around and they would just corner me and uh, they would start threatening me and um, they were telling me uh, exactly the way how they are going to kill me and these things. Now, I was so... I was so seriously, like, you, you know, this, this actually, that was the first time in my life when I felt immense panic. Like I was in such a panicky mode that I could not think. And, and generally I'm a rational thinker. I'm quite systematic in a way I approach things. And uh, I never thought of myself as being a covert. But that particular situation, I don't know why. But so the way you experience panic is, first of all, your vision uh, gets tunneled. You don't you don't see you know things wide. Now you don't you, you can't hear a lot because you just hear the um, um, like. It seems that all the blood from your ears went somewhere else. <laughs> okay. You also, you feel like your heart is pumping with, you know, like with crazy, um, with crazy speed, but you don't feel your limbs. So you feel like the, the, the blood went from your limbs to probably to the center of your body. That's what, the way I felt. I don't know the, the, the biologically how it really works, but I guess my body was ready for you, you probably heard about you know fight or, or uh, flight reaction right absolutely yeah now for me it was easy for me there was no choice for me the only choice was to run <laughs> i 
I, I wasn't thinking about fight reaction. You know, it didn't cross my mind at all. Right. Well, but that's what happens, right? So you, yeah. your brain just scans what's going yeah. on and offers you one yeah. option, one of those three. Yeah. Well, the, the problem is that they cornered me so, and, you know, behind me there was a wall and they, I was surrounded, so there was no way how I could run. So I was just frozen. Like in, in Harry Potter, they have this spell, stupefy. So someone has put this spell on me and stupefied me. Okay. So they didn't touch me. They uh, just, you know, they, they spent like half an hour with me, threatening me, and then they disappeared. And I was in, like, after that, uh, as I was processing this experience, a few things occurred to me. So number one is that suddenly... I was afraid of being afraid. Mm. That was the, the, the worst thing that could ever happen to me again, to be afraid of being afraid. And the second thing was the shame and guilt I felt. Like I, I, I felt humiliated. And the level of, of, of shame and, and, and guilt would be um, just intolerable. Shame okay. and guilt. Yeah, so shame, because I could not, as a man, I could not protect myself. And um, guilt for allowing other people, like, you know, um, cross-passers, just to, to, to see me in, in that state, in, in this, like, this way. So I was kind of, I felt guilty or I was blaming myself as well for allowing other people to see me in, in that situation. The problem aggravated is that there were a few people not far away from, from us, and one of them um, was the girl I really liked. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that was like, you know, that was on top of it. Like the, the horror. The, the horror, right. So, and... Um, you know, only probably five years after, as uh, I got my kind of first certification in cognitive behavioral therapy and I was able to heal myself, that was like only five years after I felt healed, finally, you know, healthy again. So where, what do you think about fear? Where does it come from? Well, scientifically, they say that supposedly we are born with only two innate fears, right? Which are the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. Not the fear of, fall of falling, but you know, the, mo the that thing you feel where your stomach just churns up and yeah. goes up to your chest when you're falling. So... If we go by biology, that's probably it, right? That's what fear is reduced to. All the other experiences of fear are learned. You know, I'm thinking now of all the, all the times that I have been walking with my dog and I run into 
mothers with little kids and the immediate reaction of the mother is what the kid picks up on. And that is how you learn fear. I remember very clearly one incident where I was in the funeral of um, the father of a friend of mine and the church was full of people. And uh, there was a little girl that was playing around you know, she was just playing around the church. And right before the service ended, her aunt or whoever took her outside and they were outside playing. And I stepped outside as well. And as everybody in the church started getting up and started coming out of the church, everybody started crying because they were taking the body, you know. And you could hear a couple of people, you know, screaming here and there, not, not very strong, but you know. And, and I could see this little girl completely lost, looking from one face to the next, registering in her mind all the emotions that were happening. And you could see in her absolute uncertainty. Like she did not know what she was supposed to feel. And she was desperately looking for an answer. And the second she saw her mother and saw the mother was crying, she started crying. So how many of our reaction to our thinking is learned from what we see in others, right? And yet there are other moments where we should feel fear and we don't like I remember the time I was someone held a gun to my head I can tell you that I felt fear for a few seconds before that when I realized what was going on around me but the second this guy saw that I had noticed and he pulled the gun out and put it to my head I don't think I have ever felt more peace <laughs> than in that moment. You know, everything just went quiet and still. And I had absolute certainty of what I needed to do or not do in this case, right? But I can, I can think of other moments, you know, like being in the hospital very, very ill and, and being told you're not gonna make it and, and feeling absolute peace and saying, I'm, I'm cool with that. And so I guess if you were to ask me, where does fear come from right now? Well, it definitely comes from our thinking, but from the kind of thought that understand understands the immediate reality as dangerous for your well-being. But I would, I would add a touch of uncertainty to it. Because again, when you have the absolute certainty of something, there is just peace. You are, you are in agreement with reality. When you are not in agreement with reality, then there is there, there is this element of uncertainty, of, of fear, which we are experiencing a lot of right now, uncertainty, 
here throughout the world, right? Now, if we look at it closely, we will realize that uncertainty is always the rule. It's just that we tell ourselves that it's not. We are so used to believing that life will go on as it is. We will go to bed tonight and the sun will come out tomorrow. But if you stop and think about it, you don't really know. You know, it's an act of faith going to sleep every night. And we are working hard, but we don't know if we are going to harvest the fruit of that, of that work. We assume that we are, and that assumption brings us peace and certainty, but it is absolutely an illusion. If you stop and look at life, you exist in a state of uncertainty. So who is it that is fooling, you know? What inside us is fooling itself with this illusion of, of, of control, of certainty, of understanding what is going on? And I think that is the part of us that experiences fear, you see? The part of us that wants to be in control, which of course points to ego, right? Now, when you understand life outside of ego and you truly see the uncertain nature of it, you find the freedom to surrender to that. And in that surrender, you find a completely different kind of peace, peace of a different nature. Does that make sense, Misha? Yeah. I was thinking... Last time we were talking about the ego and how it creates all these thoughts around it to, you know, to take hold of. And my, my, my mom always used to say that the only reason when you're not okay is when you distort the reality. Which is really interesting, you know, point of view, like when you're afraid or when you feel bad is when you think that the reality is not the way it is supposed to be. Right. So again, disagreement with reality. Exactly. So it's not about that the reality is bad. It's the problem that you distort the reality in your head. Now, you know, in psychology, we used to this term, which is cognitive dissonance. Is when we see one thing, but we think it should be the other one. Or, or in another way, right? And, um, you know, when someone is pointing a gun at you and you think that they should not, and you think that you should be safe and you should be in your bed sleeping, you know, that's when you are afraid. Right. Now, what you are saying, the being in peace, being calm, is like truly is about accepting the life the way it is. Yeah. Right? Loving what is. Enjoying the moment, whatever the moment is there. So I remember once um, I was in, in a plane and, and we were supposed to land and the weather in, in Toronto was really, really ugly. 
it was really bad. So the the pilot was trying to land, and then the last moment he you know pulls out and uh, goes up again, and then he does the next turn, and and the same happens. So and the third one was really really bad. The whole plane was shaking, and people were screaming, and things were falling everywhere. And I remember myself thinking, interesting how it is like to crash. And if I would tell that to my neighbor, I would obviously freak her out. Because she was following the instructions and embracing herself. Yeah, like the, the, everyone was saying, brace yourself, brace yourself, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I was like, oh, that would be interesting to learn. You know, that would be interesting to see. And as I was sharing that experience to my wife after, she looked at me, you know, that th- was such a horror in her face. <laughs> like, you are crazy, you know, you, can, you cannot be trusted. Um, but at the same time, well, you know what, what I also like thinking about death is there are two ways to think about death. One is there is nothing after. Death is death and you're going to die forever and that's it. So your life is over. And another thought might be uh, there is a life after death. Your soul will be living forever. Now, I'm not sure whether the first or the second is truer. I have no clue. However, when I believe in the second thought, it brings peace to my life today. But if I'm wrong and the first thought was valid, I don't care because I will never learn anyways. Like I will never know anyways because I'm going to be dead anyways. So why not to be happy and calm and peaceful today, believing in what you want to believe? Right, but what you are pointing to, again, is which, which of those two options are you agreeing with? Yeah. Right? Now, beyond the experience, that, the experience of fear that not being in agreement with reality can bring, the basic importance of being in agreement with reality, and this is very important, is that the second you enter an agreement with reality, reality begins to inform you in ways in which you can deal with it. Whereas if you are in disagreement with reality, you are being informed by your thought system, your conditioning, your preference, which then makes it impossible for you to deal with the reality at hand. You see? So even if the reality is uncertainty, like it is now, embracing that reality, entering an agreement with that uncertainty, allows us to cope with the uncertainty. Which kind, it kind of sounds counterintuitive and paradoxical, but that's how it works. The second you agree with what is, you develop an ability to respond to what is. I think, Marina, it is very close to scientific approach, which is you are never sure 
you are always uncertain and you allow reality to inform you whether you know things is right or wrong what i like when I, when I was a kid, I would study the, the, this method, the, the Socratic questioning. And uh, I think it is helpful for us even today. For example, you are, you know, you're feeling afraid of the next moment and you think so. The next moment we are now in uh, COVID reality, right? And um, some of us might think that I might get sick. And uh, if I will get sick, I won't get through, right? So, and that creates a lot of anxiety. The Socratic questioning will be, how do you know for sure that you will get sick? And if you just stay with that and meditate for a while, you will learn that there is no freaking way how you can know for sure that you will get sick. Now, if I get sick, I won't get through. How do you know? Because there is no way you know until you experience, until you know for sure. Now, when you know for sure, and if you were right, it would not matter anymore. But that's the thing. Until you don't know, you cannot enter an agreement with reality. So mm -hmm. on, as long as you don't know, you have to enter the agreement with the fact that you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. But also, you know, the, the second part of entering into agreement, let's say I'm okay of not knowing and uh, I'm okay in uncertainty. Now, if you really allow the reality to inform you, you will lay your thinking on what is really happening versus you think is happening. Which is, you find this certainty only in the current moment. And that's why you feel peaceful. But you have an ability to respond moment to moment, right? Because the way wisdom operates in us is it informs us moment to moment. Wisdom cannot inform us about the past and it cannot inform us about the future but it brings every single piece of information we can possibly need about right now about the here and now so the advantages of being present and in agreement with reality are enormous like if we knew just how much it serves us to be present and in agreement with reality. Not being present and not being in agreement with reality would look crazy, would look like a really, really, really bad idea. Right? Now, how do we know that we are not in agreement with reality? How do we know that we are not present? Because we feel it. If you are feeling fear, if you are feeling sadness, if you are feeling frustration, if you are feeling any of those, or if you are even feeling attachment to something that is slipping through your fingers, you know, like, or, or, or grief, mm -hmm. loss, 
you know you are in disagreement with reality. You know you are not present. So being in agreement with reality brings, by definition, a sense of peace. Even, now, listen to this, because entering agreement with reality does not mean enter agreement with circumstance only. It means enter agreement with circumstance, but also with what is going on inside you. So enter agreement with sadness, enter agreement with anger, enter agreement with grief, with fear, with anything that is happening inside you as well. Enter an agreement with the thoughts that are appearing in your head. And as soon as you enter agreement with that, wisdom will inform you what the best way to cope with that reality, inside or outside, is. So it's, it's really a game of staying so present that you notice as this, as anything happens and you bring yourself into agreement with that. And that for me is the essence of collaboration with life. Anthony de Melo says, enlightenment is absolute collaboration with life. But those words, absolute and collaboration, are of such depth. You know, and, and in, the, in the battle between reality and my thinking, I, it serves me well to be on the side of reality, <laughs> if only for that. You know, you just tapped into what is the nature of courage for me. I, I told you that after that experience many, many years ago, I was afraid of being afraid. And um, the way out was to learn that there is no emotion that can harm me. You know, sadness, grief, fear, bring it on. The, the emotion is just sensational vibration in your body. It can't harm you. It won't do anything to you. Just the way our body operates. Just the way our body informs us about the thoughts we have in our heads. And once I learned that, okay, if um, I want to be happy and I'm ready to take, you know, joy, I can't take joy without taking other 50% of emotions. Exactly. And way to joy and to being peaceful and interesting many people think that they can they want to to be happy but what they don't realize is that you can convert peace into happiness at any moment so the way to happiness is through peace always through peace and the way to peace is through all 50 percent of all other emotions of course yeah like we all want wholeness we, want, we all want that, that sense of, you know, being complete. But being complete does not mean having only the 50% that is, you know, labeled as good, as desirable. Being complete, being in well-being, 
implies having the whole range of human emotion. Now, the beauty of what you're saying regarding courage as the ability to feel every emotion is very, very spot on with the true concept of freedom, the true meaning of freedom. If I allow myself the freedom to feel anything, then I am truly and absolutely free. Or courageous, if you want to call it that. No, but, but there is, courageous to me is like a step before freedom. There is a little bit of a misunderstanding because yes, what is feeling going to do to you? And yet human beings, we are terrified of feeling. It is probably our, our only fear. <laughs> our only learned fear is to feel something, to feel loss, to feel attachment, to feel unlovable, to feel whatever. Can you elaborate on this idea of being courageous before being free? Why is that? Because courageous, from, at least from where I stand right now, implies feeling the fear and going beyond it, like pushing yourself beyond it. But that necessity of pushing yourself disappears when you understand that nothing can harm you. There is, there is no feeling. There is nothing in human experience that can actually touch the consciousness that you are. So pure consciousness doesn't run from anything. Pure consciousness does not need to be courageous. Pure consciousness is. But ego needs that extra push to surrender to it which implies that I am experiencing from ego and not from truth. Do you see? Yeah. I remember reading um, one of the books by, um, I think, Richard Dawkins, and um, he was saying that you need courage to overcome pride. Yes. That, yes. <laughs> <laughs> But again, we are still... Yes, but we are still moving in the, in the realm of ego, you see? So in, in a very strict sense, overcoming pride, overcoming fear is just one more story to attach to ego. When you really leave behind the realm of ego, mm -hmm. pride dissolves and the need for courage dissolves as well. Do you think that it should be taught or experienced? I, I'm talking about overcoming fear. Can we teach that? Well, you see, again, in, in my experience, it is not about overcoming fear. It is about seeing through the illusion of it. Can we teach that? 
we can point to the possibility of it, but it is, it is an individual path. We can point to the possibility of it and the ones that are looking for that might, might follow the direction we point in. And we can walk with them, but we cannot walk for them. Interesting. No, I, I, I'm going to switch our gears here. And um, this is what I want to ask and, and, and discuss. Let's say we now are in anxiety and we are now, we are afraid of something. We don't know exactly what, or maybe we know, but we feel that like as, you know, as the background and anxiety and fear never leaves us. It's just like our natural background for some of us, for sure. And if we know that the emotion is the result of the way we think, so it is thought that drives this emotion, our, we might be inclined just to change the thought, to try to change the thought, or just try to forget the thought or try to meditate and, um, you know, make it, make it gone. So we, f we feel well, and I tried it all. And what I also, you know, we are talking about mindfulness and what I realized that meditation is not mindfulness. Meditation is mindlessness. So, and it doesn't help. Yes, when you're when you're meditating, you can be at peace. But the next moment, the, the guy on the road cuts you, and all your practice in meditation is gone, and you're back to your normal self, to familiarity. So, what do we do? Do we change our thought? Do we uh, quiet our mind? Do we meditate immediately? Do we go to and and take you know calming baths like? What do you think we should do here? Well, for me, it's not a doing. It's a, it's a non-doing. It's a stop doing something. So in order to feel the fear, in order to feel uh, the anxiety, in order to feel the uncertainty, you have to reel up your thinking. And it takes a lot of energy to, to maintain a thought. So the, I guess the invitation is stop, just, just stop, just let it go. You know, and, and mindlessness or mindfulness or mindfulness, a lot of the practice of mindfulness has become a to do, you know, like be aware of your thinking, be aware of every single thought that comes into your mind. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of effort. We luckily have an internal guidance system that allows us to know, that lets us know immediately when we should let go of our thinking. You know, every time we feel the fear, the anxiety, the da 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 da, any of those. That is our own wisdom calling us back to agreement, 
calling us back to the present moment, calling us back to love, peace, possibility. So, yes, because, because we are of both natures, you know, ego and presence, consciousness, divinity versus humanity, if you want to put it that way. I don't, I don't like them when they are opposed, no, but we have, thankfully, both worlds integrated in us. Now, the world of our thinking is very useful for many things. But when we use it for what it's not useful, our, our wisdom lets us know by showing up, bringing, this, bringing up these feelings in us. So there is nothing we need to do except, you know, be conscious of the lights when they come out, you know, be conscious of the signs and respond to them. Now, you will only be able to respond to the ones you become conscious of. But, you know, when you become conscious of suffering, let go of it, come back. It's interesting that at some point you have this ability to recognize. At some point you are able to dissociate from your thoughts and realize these are just thoughts. They mean nothing if I don't want to mean them anything. When you are talking about these lights, which is basically our guidance system, right? The, the light is an, is an emotion. And also, I, I, I love the metaphor. You know, um, sometimes uh, when you meditate or when you're taking drugs, you uh, can get into uh, alternate state of being, right? You can alter your consciousness. And... Um, you see the, the, the world as the light. And you can see every emotion as the light. And what I learned is fear is still a light just of different color. And they're all beautiful. You know, red, green, white, yellow. They're just lights and they're all beautiful. The, the happiness might be of you know, of higher vibration or, or lighter lights and um, the, the, the grief or the sadness might be of a darker color, but they're so beautiful anyways. And as they intertwine, they're so beautiful. At the same time, we need to feel the light. When we are afraid, we need to ground ourselves and feel how it feels to be afraid. Otherwise, next time we'll never learn what we're feeling because we used to, you know, to suppress our emotion. We used to be in our heads. That's the way many of us are brought up. Yeah, well, we missed the lesson. When we run from our feelings, we miss the lesson they are bringing. You know, like when we, I'm going to go back to the very basic, right? So if you think that what you're feeling has to do with circumstance, 
you will want to run to circumstance and change it, alter it somehow. And, and you could, right? Like, give me back my lollipop. If I have my lollipop back, I will be happy, right? I get my lollipop back, I feel happy. And I fool myself believing that I feel happy because I have a lollipop, when in reality, I feel happy because the, the thought that I am lacking a lollipop is not in my head anymore, right? So what, what I think I am missing is actually the surplus thinking that I have about stuff, yes? But if I go and grab the lollipop and stay with that, I miss the lesson that my wisdom is bringing me about how I operate and how I am using my thinking. And so I perpetuate a world in which I am fixing things where they are not, where the things are not even present. You see, I am fixing my feelings in circumstance when my feelings are not dependent on circumstance. And it is, it is a form of madness, right? It is just that we fall for it every time. When you stop falling for it and you give yourself time to feel the whole emotion, you start seeing the relationship between your thinking, your feeling, wisdom, and how you operate. And so you start learning how to navigate life inside you, not outside you which is what will ultimately, constantly guide us home. That was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> what is one thing we want to share with our audience as we finish this episode? Well, I would, I would just really like to put the idea out there that fear is your friend. Like fear truly is bringing you nuggets of wisdom, jewels that will guide you for the rest of your life if you, if you are willing to harvest them. But you need to sit with fear in order to do that. And for myself, I would add, the only reason this friend or teacher is showing up is because you are distorting reality in your head. Exactly. You are disagreeing with reality. Exactly. <laughs> Good. Thank you, Marina. Thank you, Misha. This has been, this has been really, really nice. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the School for Mystics podcast.